So this is an unusual Sunday for us, and it's called Christ the King. When I was you girls' ages, we didn't have Christ the King. It was a new festival. We'll talk about that more a little bit later. But when you think about someone who is a king or a queen, what do you think about in terms of maybe how they're dressed and how life, what life is like for them and what a king or a queen might be wearing? Well, in the movies, they're like all dressed up and they're dressed up all the time. But I think in real life, they're just like putting on sweatpants and they're just in their throne doing duties. In, in the book that I'm currently reading, the princess um, made a wish to make herself look like a quote-unquote real princess. The reason why I put on the quotes there is because the actual version of herself, the version that she turns into after she makes the wish, which with the oh, 13th god, which for some reason she's in the past, she gets black hair, black eyes, um, skin like amber, and a very pretty dress. The actual version of her that we see on the cover is um, kind of copper hair. Um, they explain her in the book as one of her eyes is gray and bigger than the other, and the other eye is smaller than the other and blue. Um, and in the cover, she's wearing a white dress. Wow. So different kinds of outfits. Sometimes um, we think of the king or the queen as being dressed up all the time. But like you said, maybe they're wearing their sweatpants and just uh, making rules and being king or queen sitting on a throne. And then there are other princesses who wish to be a princess and they're transformed into something else. What do you suppose? And then throw in a dungeon because she thinks that she looks like herself. <laughs> she, she wants to. Forget, yes, she forgets gets, that she's in her and forgets that she's in her thing. In the, I don't even know what to call it. Transformed. Yeah, she is transformed. It sounds like. Yeah, that's a good story. When you think about what a king or a queen might be wearing on a fancy occasion or a state occasion, what do you suppose they would have on their head? A crown. They would be wearing a crown. That's right. That's right. And later on in our gospel lesson, Jesus is characterized as a king in this reading. And he is also going to wear a crown, but it's going to be a crown of thorns. So the lesson for today of Christ the King is that Jesus really isn't a king like we think of with lots of force and power and riches. He has a kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And that's where he comes to take us to through his life and then through his suffering and, and his death. So this is an unusual Sunday for Christ the King. And we have to remember that Christ wears a crown, but it's a crown of thorns, not wealth, power, jewels, glitter. <laughs> what he's doing for us. So you want to say a prayer with me? Just for a minute. Dear Jesus, we give you thanks for everything that you have done for us. We know that you are our king, and we ask you to rule in your hearts and be our sovereign now and always. Amen. Thanks so much. It's good to hear from you.
Today is Christ the King Sunday, you may have noticed. The hymns are a little different. The colors in the chancel are different. The chasuble is white. The scripture lessons are an interesting combination of joy, reassurance, confidence, and suffering. It is the intersection of glory with the cross of Christ. This festival has been called an extension of Ascension Day, reminding us of Jesus' presence to and with the Father. In some parts of our denomination and in other denominations, the day is also referred to as the reign of Christ. For most of my life, we didn't really observe this festival. It wasn't part of my growing up years. And when my mother would see the emblem of Christ the King, which is Christ on the cross, but wearing royal robes and a crown, mom would comment, there's something rather distressing about that. And indeed, more than she realized at the time, there is something distressing and paradoxical about the intersection of glory and suffering. This, the last Sunday of our church year, is a comparatively new festival in the liturgical calendar. Pope Pius XI, whose motto was the peace of Christ in the kingdom of Christ, first announced this festival in 1925, so it's not even 100 years old. Like many developments in the church, there was a political aspect to this festival as well as a devotional one. We have to remember that the popes had been considering themselves as prisoners in Rome as Italy was being united. And the question became, what should we do about Rome and the popes who live there? Well, the answer was Vatican City in 1929. But in 1922, the fascists had come to power in Italy with consequences that were eventually, of course, disastrous and catastrophic. And the Pope proclaimed this festival to emphasize throughout the world and in secular realms, Christ is the King. There was none other besides him. In our era of increased authoritarianism and claims to localize absolute power that we hear about in the news, this festival of Christ the King has renewed relevance. With our revised common lectionary, Protestant churches began to observe this festival day as well. So for us, it functions as a kind of capstone to all the end of time readings and lessons that are so often our texts in the last few Sundays of Pentecost. So we are able on this day simultaneously to look forward to Christ's glory and to look backward, remembering his suffering and humiliation for us. Several Sundays back on Reformation Sunday, we considered together the whole notion of truth. It comes back again today. And I was relieved to hear some of our denomination's foremost professors on preaching saying, we really need to keep that question of Pilate as part of our reading. What is truth? And so you heard me read it, even though it was not in our folder. What is truth? A stunning and provocative and evocative question in an era where there is a curious and bizarre meshing of authoritarianism 
and yet repeated assertions that it is my right to do whatever I wish to do, that I may believe whatever it is I wish to believe, regardless of evidence, and that I should feel free to say anything I wish to say, this question of what is truth remains piercingly relevant. The Greek word for truth appears more than 41 times in the Gospel of John. And if we look closely at that word, its root meaning in Greek is hiding nothing, as in pulling back the curtain to reveal what is reality. And that's reality with a capital R. Particularly over the last three or four years, I have been thinking about Pilate's question, what is truth? And in that connection, I have also thought about Jesus' proclamation, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christians have drawn on this text, unfortunately, to say that their version of Jesus' truth is the only truth there is. So accordingly, their version of Jesus' truth is the only way to the Father. But my question over the last three or four years has been, and I really have thought about this, what if the way, the truth, and the life are all the same thing? For three or four years, I've been looking for language regarding that question. And when I was listening to a commentary on the text this last week, I heard a theologian say, if truth is a person, then truth is not a proposition, but a relationship. If truth is a person, then truth is not a proposition, but a relationship. What if the way, the truth, and the life are all the same thing? Let's just think about that for the next three or four years. Returning to our gospel narrative, we hear the first interrogation of Jesus by Pilate. And in this passage, we glimpse what is perhaps Jesus' own ambivalence about kingship. Because back then, what was hoped for on the part of so many for a messiah or a king. And that was, of course, the overthrow of the Roman domination and the reestablishment of David's line on a royal throne. In other words, let's go back to the good old days. Remember James and John when they asked for seats at the right and left hand of Jesus when he was in glory? The disciples' preconceptions were difficult to change. And so are ours, aren't they? But two things emerge in this exchange between Pilate and Jesus. Jesus does not reject the title of king, but neither does he accept the ordinary political implications of that title. His is another reign entirely, and his kingship derives its power from a source other than this world. Sometimes Jesus' own statement, which historically has been translated as, my kingdom is not of this world, does that sound familiar to us? That statement has been used as a kind of proof text by some Christians who want to separate religion and politics, or as I like to say it, religion and reality. And not just religion from politics, but they want to separate, it seems to me, doctrine from practice. And this leads to a type of quietism, which has at times been very typical for us Lutherans. 
So it is to say, when the church raises issues of economic justice, of racial equity, of creation care, some resistors will respond with, well, let's just stick to the gospel. Didn't Jesus say, my kingdom is not of this world? Or, as Thomas Gomes wrote, that's when the preacher stops preaching and starts meddling. I perceive that stick-to-the-gospel response as actually to say, okay, I'll endorse the gospel, but I'm not changing how I choose to live. St. Augustine said, what is Christ's kingdom? It is simply those who believe in him. I would also be so bold as to expand that comment to say that Christ's kingdom is also simply those who follow him, who follow him. And remember, we've said repeatedly that the word follow can also mean to imitate. Dennis Ham is one of my favorite Jesuits. He's taught for years at Creighton in Omaha. And he had this wonderful observation. He wrote, followers of Jesus will be supported by the Holy Spirit, and the gospel will reach all nations, and there's a heap of housekeeping to be done in between. How then shall we live? What housekeeping can we do now in light of what we know? For a year, we've been listening to lessons from the Gospel of Mark. For a year, we have heard, and taking a child, he put a child in their midst. For a year, we have heard, the first will be last, and the last will be first. For a year, we have heard, whoever must be greatest must be least. For a year, we have heard, we are not to lord it over one another, but to be servants of one another. So what difference has it made? Through this year, have your attitudes changed? Has your thinking been altered? Have you been challenged or encouraged or both? After a year of readings from the Gospel of Mark, to what extent have we brought our lives into greater congruence with what it is Jesus specifically told us to do and who he specifically told us to be? What difference has it made? Sometimes you just got to take inventory and think about these things. Fatherham also writes, the whole of the New Testament makes it clear that response to the reign of God Christ the King, and the kingship of Jesus has everything to do with how we live out our earthly citizenship. How we work, Father Ham says, how we work, how we pay, buy, sell, and vote. In this we honor Jesus, Father Ham said. In the words of today's reading from Revelation, we honor Jesus as faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings of the earth. This Sunday of Christ the King juxtaposes glorious exaltation with unspeakable suffering. The blinding contrast is such that it should bring us to a standstill as we contemplate what was done for us by the one who was before all things and in whom all things hold together, making peace by his blood of the cross. We are brought to a standstill as we hear the words of this story and picture the scene in our minds. 
as we come to the close of this church year and move into the time of Advent. May that time of Advent be for us a quiet and thoughtful time in the midst of all the frantic activity, the frantic activity and the excessive consumption that the little fast of Advent was intended to spare us. May we remember the King of the Jews and our King as well. May we follow with heroic humility in the steps of the one who held up a child for our example, whose kingdom is not of this world, and who humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him in the kingship that will never be destroyed. And may you be strengthened with all power to lead a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing to him, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of saints in light and who has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and the life everlasting. Thanks be to God.